You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. We're doing a special message today called Men of Destiny. I'm speaking not just to dads, I'm speaking to men as a whole. And I would say this even to the young men that are represented in our congregation. Whether you, even though you may not be married or have any kids, my point being is this. Given the day and age that we live in, I really feel like this is a critical message for you to hear as it relates to being a man of destiny. So would everybody stand for the reading of the word today? And uh, we're going to read a familiar passage today, uh, but we're going to be opening it up a little bit more in a different way than what we have before. But we're just going to read Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Everybody read with me. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now Jesus, I pray as we look at this topic today, being men of destiny, that we recognize, God, that you created us, you value us, and you have a purpose for us, God. And I pray that not only do we understand that, that we understand how that affects the people and the world around us. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 The Lord bless you. Be seated. So as we're looking at this particular passage, and we'll be exploring some other scriptures related to this, we're unpacking what it means to be a man. Why are we unpacking this? Well, number one, as we look at our particular culture right now, we see a lot of what I call social experimentation going on. And that's really what it is. A lot of social experimentation is happening. There's no history to prove that this is a proven uh, a direction that will have positive outcomes. They're, they're experimenting with people's lives and they're experimenting with people's families. And as a pastor, I just have to say this. I believe God's word and I believe God's word tells us things to protect us from things that could be damaging in the end and damaging to those around us. And I'm afraid that by the time some people realize that this is not a definitive thing our culture's pushing, what it's pushing is an experimentation. And by the time they realize they're being experimented on, the consequences will have set in. We're going to see a lot of broken and hurt and crushed people. So as we look at this topic, one of the reasons I'm sharing on this is if you can't get what it means to be a man right, then there's a good chance you're not getting a whole lot of things in life right. Okay, Because everything that we are flows from our being, who we are. And so what's happening is this. Overall, because of our cultural shifts, a number of men are finding themselves what I call in a state of confusion. 
Because when, when, when that identity as a man is shaken, now all of a sudden it's like, so what are my responsibilities and how do I carry that out? How do I express? So now there's a lot of confusion. This then has also led to men are now experiencing a general disappointment with life. Because maybe they were raised a certain way and now culture is saying, oh, you're, you're, you're a bigot, you're, you're narrow-minded, you're these things if you hold these particular views of identity. And so now men are starting to experience disappointment with life. This is then leading to the fact that men are lonely because now they don't even know who they can hang out with. They're afraid because... That guy's definition of manhood is probably different than mine, and it's different from the other guy, it's different from the other guy, and it can create a lot of awkward moments. And so a lot of guys are pulling into this bubble of what I call a retreat, like I'm just going to be me and keep everybody out. And I'm just saying that has its own problems because God never designed us to live in isolation, but numbers of men are signing up to be a solo act in life. I don't need nobody. Yes, you do need people. You do. You still need them. And so now men are drifting, wondering what's our expression, what's our responsibilities, what are these things. And then here's what I want to just, the next two sentences are crucial. Men who are confused create major problems. If I can't get me right, I'm probably not getting the things around me right. And so I'm going to start causing a lot of problems from the very standpoint that I I don't have a basis, I don't have a foundation from which my life can flow. And then on top of that, so here's the thing. Without a truthful understanding of manhood, men will settle for less in life. If I can't tell myself what the truth is and know it's the truth, and base my life on that, if I'm buying into something that's not truthful, but I think it's truthful, that's called self-deception. And everybody knows where self-deception can lead a person. They are lock, stock, barrel, in step. They, really, they truly believe they're right. But by the time reality plays out and shows them they're not, the consequences are monumental. Because that's usually what it takes to break self-deception is a hard dose of reality that conflicts with what they believe. And then when that happens, they find that they are, there's all kinds of problems and there's all kinds of issues associated with their life. So I just say this, I'm, I'm not angry, I'm not mad, I'm not hateful, I'm not just spiteful. I'm worried. I'm concerned. Because some of the things that I've just described here don't come from a book. They come from sitting down with reality. Sitting with a person who says, I bought into some of this stuff. I accepted some of these values, and now here's where my life is. And it's not playing out the way that people told me that it would play out. It's not, I don't have a basis for, now I'm, now I'm adrift. I'm lost. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to change things that I changed in myself. I do, what do I do? Where do I go from this standpoint? So I'm not here to theorize. I'm here to tell you the broken people are already starting to show up. It's happening. It's just that that's not newsworthy. 
So they move the microphone to somebody else who's got a story to tell to support a previous con uh, uh, concept or ideology. So hey, by the way, let me just say it this way. I'm not here to make Republicans happy, Democrats happy, independents happy, socialists happy, uh, communists or anarchists or whoever. All the isms. I'm not here to make you happy. I'm here to challenge you. Well, that was weak. <laughs> my, my job is not to play to a party. My job is to explain the Bible and let it fall where it falls. And if you find that it's hitting you heavier than the guy who's in front of you or behind you, that's, well, then you just receive it. But my, my idea is, my purpose today is not to hold a political ideology up. No, the Bible is not politics. The Bible is morality. Okay? So we're going to take that standpoint today. And it's not my intent to go in this direction. It's interesting when you, when you study the word, it can take you places you didn't anticipate. So yesterday my wife says, well, you know, you're ready for Father's Day and all that. I said, I'm really having a problem. I said, I got more stuff than time. And I said, I'm trying to pull out what, what, can, I lead, what can I pull out and not feel that I'm missing what I'm there to say or what I think needs to be said. So I said, I'm really in, in a stuck spot. I'm pulling things out. I'm deleting this. I'm deleting that. And so if it sounds like there's some holes in this thing today, there is. <laughs> I'm just being up front with you. I was just trying to, okay, I got to keep this moving. Because if, if you've been here, you know I love chasing rabbit trails. <laughs> Because I think there was always some good stuff out there. But I did leave in one rabbit trail for you today. So, number one, let's begin to go to the Bible. Number one, everybody read it with me. Men are made... Now, that's not Pastor Greg's opinion. We can read it. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So what the word image in the Hebrew means this it means a resemblance it means representative figure so what i want you to know is this as you look at the scripture you notice that it says that god it was god's idea not mine it was god's idea to say we need to create a man we need to create man that resembles us now that's the second thing do you see it doesn't say then god said let me it says, it says, let what? Ah, so he's talking to the Son and the Holy Spirit. God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He says, let us. So that tells you a lot right there about we should have all three of these activities happening. We need the Father's activity. We need the activity of the Son. And we need the activity of the Holy Spirit. Because we're made in the image of the Trinity. Everybody amen? Okay. So, so, but notice he doesn't say he's making us God. So don't anybody walk out of there and say, Pastor said we're gods. No, he didn't. I said you were a likeness. Similarities. It's like a father who has a son and you can see the similarity. We know they're different. But we can see the similarities. We can go, you're related to him, aren't you? Because we can see the similarities that are going on here. Then, as you go on down... You can, in, in the, the book of Genesis, you pick up another aspect here. It says, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So there's two things that are critical here. Every man needs to understand that you are made in the image of God. You have some of his qualities. Those qualities include God's, God is a creator. You are a creator. You have the ability to take an idea 
and then turn it into a reality. You can take something that's in your head and see it. You can think of words and put them on a piece of paper. You can, you can make a drawing and then build that, that product. You can come up with a solution and then go and fix You can see a car that's broken and know how to fix it and turn it into a reality. We are creators. That's part of what God has put in us. We're the, we have the ability to see a problem and fix it. We are relational beings. We know that putting a person in isolation is one of the most horrific punishments that you can give them. And just as God is a social being, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, He's created us to be a social being. So we have these qualities. But notice this, not only do I have His image, I have His breath. Wow. I just want you to think of that. I have God's breath. You have God's breath. See, that changes the dynamic of how we look at ourselves. Did I come out right? Was I born right? Was, was, was my identity? Listen, man, you're made in the image of God. You have the breath of God. Stop taking your cues from culture and start taking your cues from the Word of God. It says that you're made in the image of God. What needs fixed in that? You have the breath of God. Don't let society talk you out of that. But see, the problem is, there's responsibilities that come with that. And some of our society doesn't agree with that concept. So therefore, they attack the very foundation of who you are, your identity. You're not in the image of God. You don't have the breath of God. And so that gives you the right to go experiment. See, if you remove that, then it's a big experiment. But if I know that's to be true, I, that gives me a foundation to go into life. Okay? Because then I can know I've got a destiny, I've got a basis, I've got a foundation. And that does, hey, it doesn't mean the wind's not going to blow and the rain's not going to fall, but I got somewhere to plant my feet. And I'm not going to be left with this drifting element. So this comes to the second part. Everybody read this. Men value women because women are made in the image of God as well. Now this is going to be the rabbit trail that I left in. So I'm just going to tell you, you're going to need to give me about seven, eight minutes to get to this end of the rabbit trail. And your, your, your aha moment's coming in about seven minutes. How many can hang on for that? All right, here we go. So it says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created, notice he says, male and female. He just doesn't say male. It says male and female. So this is not elevating one gender over another. God is saying both these genders represent who I am. So let's go a little further with that. Everybody is probably familiar with this particular aspect. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 21 and 22, it says, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Now, what I, what, the rabbit trail, which I think is really pivotal here, is a, it's the Hebrew word that's used here, it's selah. And I, I, I'll wait for the deafening amens to die down after that. You say, that's the aha? Well, actually it is the aha, you just don't know about it to know why it is the aha. 
So the word selah, while it is translated rib because of the context, actually could also be translated with the word side, which does not violate the scripture at all because the rib is a part of the side, right? And so there are other places in the Old Testament where the word selah is used. And I'm going to take you to some of those contexts. So what it does is it it unveils for you a a more appreciative selection of why that word was used. Because the Hebrew is not like English. We have the word run. And we've got over 60-some definitions right now of the word run. And so when you say the word run, you're kind of like, well, which one of the 60-some definitions are you using? That one right now. That's not the way it is in Hebrew. When you want to use uh, another uh, uh, concept, there's another word for that. You don't have the, you don't have the word plays. Okay? So basically it's this. The word selah means side. Because of the context here, they just go ahead and use the word rib, which doesn't violate the context. But let's look where else it is used. Exodus chapter 36, verse 25. For the other side, the north side of the tabernacle, they made 20 frames. The word selah is used to describe the side of the tabernacle. Oh, it gets better. Exodus 25, 14. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry it. The ark of the covenant. So the sides of the tabernacle were called selah. And the sides of the Ark of the Covenant were Selah. Let me just say, Selah is a very sacred, holy, and reverential word. It represents sides where God's presence dwells. How many just got the aha? Wow. God took from the man's side which was made in his image, which is holy, and created woman from that Selah side, which makes her, if she comes from holy, she is holy. It's the same word that God used to describe where his presence lived. Wow. You see, what this does is this. Sometimes you read the New Testament and you go, I wonder where some of these New Testament writers got their concepts. Because when I look in the old, it can be challenging to go, I wonder where they came up with that. And one of those challenges is the Apostle Paul's teaching on when he says that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Where did he get the ideology that somehow our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Everybody see that? All he was doing is... So let me, let me, let me read to you what Paul wrote. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? Now, this next part, you used to read this years ago and nobody thought two cents about it. But now you read it today and everybody says, well, that's a politically charged statement. Well, it's not my idea, it was God's idea and I'm just reading it to you. By the way, I agree with it too. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. Wow. Wow. Does that tell you how sacred God finds life? God says, if you destroy that temple of that person, I'll destroy you. See, I didn't get preached much because we all want to talk about grace, forgiveness, and there is grace, forgiveness. But there's also a side of God that says, when you violate 
my sacred presence in somebody else, I'm not happy about that. He then goes on to say, God, for that, God, for, or, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. There must have been some challenges because he revisit this, he revisits this a couple chapters later. He continues on the same concept. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 through 20. Do you not know that your bodies? See, we always talk about the heart and the soul and the spirit. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? Listen to me. Your body is a gift from God. I don't need to take culture's read and somebody tell me there's something wrong with the way that God created me and therefore I need to do some kind of metamorphosis change. No, I'm fine the way I am. I'm comfortable with how God made me. He then goes on to say, who is in you whom you have received from God? You are not your own. Boy, how many have heard, my body, my choice. I know that puts me out on a limb, and I'm real comfortable being there. Okay? You are not your own. So as a follower of Christ, you are faced with the decision. Do I take American culture as my primary value, my body, my choice, or do I accept the biblical value that says, no, it is not mine. You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. You are faced with a moral decision. Are you a cultural follower or a Jesus follower? That's the choice. You say, I don't like the way you phrased it. Well, let me phrase it another way. You have to decide. And I don't say that in a mean-spirited, or, but you, people are, in, they're holding cultural values and trying to declare that it's biblical, and it's not. It's a counterfeit. We have to make some, I didn't say the Bible was easy. I didn't say it was always comfortable. I didn't say it always made you feel good. But the Bible says it's not my body. This is his body that he loaned to me, and I'm to treat it as a result as his temple of his Holy Spirit. That changes the dynamic of how I view myself. That changes the dynamic of how I feel and look at you. And so as men, I just say this, men, so we, this, look at it. So let me, let me take you to another side. This is why spousal abuse is so horrific, you say, not, it's not just the physical pain and the damage and the mental. Do you understand that when a man abuses a woman, that he is violating and a person who is made in the image of God, he's also violating God in her. And by the way, we know that women are capable of abusing men. Not one person wanted to say amen on that one. <laughs> It's like, well, yeah, I think it's us. You know. <laughs> this, this, that's why. And God says, if you destroy their temple, I'll destroy you. So this speaks to men who choose to abuse a woman 
or a woman who chooses to abuse a man. I mean, this also speaks to parents or anybody who chooses to abuse a child. You're, listen, you're violating the Selah, which is a sacred term. You're violating the sacredness of life of God's presence in that person's life. And God says, you destroy that, I destroy you. Whew. I'll let the amens die down. <laughs> See, when I understand that as a man, I need to teach my sons, my daughter, my grandchildren. You don't treat women with respect and decency and honor because we live in a free society and that's what, yeah, all that's true. But even if my culture didn't believe that, I still would treat the women and the men and the children and grandchildren of my life with the deepest of respect. Not because my government ordered me to do that, but because it's a biblical value. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right. I only got 10 more of these, so relax. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Only nine, maybe. No, throw there's five. Here we go. Half, we're halfway. Come on now. Number three, read it out loud. Men manage earth's resources as God's steward. God said in verse 26, let us make mankind in our image. Why did he make us in his image, in our likeness? So they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. This is interesting. God said, if I want you to manage my world, then I'm going to have to give you some of who I am so that you can manage it. Because my world is very unique to how I am. So I have to put some of who I am in you so that you can manage the world I created. And when he says likeness or a rule, it means to subjugate. It means to have dominion. You read also in verse 28, he said to be fruitful and increase the number, fill the earth, and he said subdue it. The Hebrew there means to keep under, to bring into subjection. So God put us in a world that requires our input because when we stop giving input, things don't go well. Neglect your yard for 30 days and you'll understand what I'm talking about. Your house needs you to rule over it, or your yard will rule over you. If you're in the farming industry, you understand that it requires your input for product, for, for, for livestock and for crops to do well. A failure of a, of a farmer to exercise rulership and to subdue can lead that farm into chaos. I could go on in so many different ways. God created a world, he says, I need you to take control and manage it. Now, here's, a here's the thing. Notice the word manage. I don't know if you realize this, but you really don't own anything. Every time you buy something, you are agreeing that you have purchased the stewardship rights. You don't own it. You say, yes, I do. Die and see what happens to it. Okay? You're purchasing stewardship rights, okay? Stop paying your property taxes and watch them come take it, okay? And they will transfer the stewardship of, the stewardship of your home and property to somebody else, okay? 
But I bought it. Yeah, but you didn't pay the taxes, and so they're going to move the stewardship to somebody else. You are purchasing stewardship rights. You don't really own it. See, I learned this early. I, I've told this before, but I learned this early on. My dad, when the kids were young, or three, my dad came to visit, and he decided to be the all-famous grandfather. And he purchased them a swing set. He said, I'm going to buy you a swing set. Kids were excited. We're getting a swing set. We went and bought the swing set. He bought it home. They're excited. It was not assembled. <laughs> and the declaration that he had before he left the house was, your dad will put it together. <laughs> That's when I learned the difference between fathering and grandfathering. I mean, this thing was in a gazillion pieces, man. I mean, literally, I'm not, I mean, I'm not exaggerating. I mean, literally, there could have been a thousand screws, bolts, washers. I mean, they had multiple bags. The, 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 the instructions was more like an encyclopedia. And I'm one of those guys, because I don't want to get jammed up, I read every page as we're going through. I'm sticking with it because I, I don't want to undo something. So I go through it, I get it all put together. It took me a whole week because, you know, you work, and then you come home, and kids are like, are you almost down, Dad? I said, well, I'm on page six of 60 you know but I'm getting there guys so we got it there and I kid you not I get to the last page I'm reading the last line it says uh, maintenance maintenance and safety this is the last line all bolts screws and nuts should be checked every two weeks <laughs> that's when I realized that swing set owned me It owned me. I didn't own a swing set. The swing set, and I, and I was like, there ain't no way I'm going to do this every two weeks. I'm not even doing this every month. I never did check them. <laughs> I refused to be owned by a swing set. So when, I, when I, I say that, because when we understand we're stewards, we handle stuff differently. We, we keep it because we understand that I'm temporary. It could be, it's going to go to somebody else. I'm managing God's stuff. So, I'm gonna, so it, it creates a different mindset of how I take care of things. Okay? I'm not, it's not obsessive, compulsive disorders and that. It's just, you know, by the way, you can have that too, okay? But it's just one of those you just go, look, I need... This is not my stuff. God gave it to me because he thought I could manage it. And he thought I could manage it well. And so I need to manage it well. So I take care of stuff. I, I do what needs to be done. I'm not going to tell you I'm perfect at it, but I value what I have because I really, I do. I, I truly understand it's not mine. I thank God for where I live. I thank God for what we're able to drive. I just say, God, I thank you for that because I realize I'm, to, I'm today's steward, but I'm not the owner. I'm today's steward. And by the way, when you do that, you manage God's creation better. You don't have to be one of these uh, people who worships nature. But on the other side of it, too, is you understand, I need to manage land and resources and all these things around me. Why? Because I don't want to hand a problem off to another generation that I created. It's understand just any more than I wanted a previous generation to wreck land, water, whatever the case. And in my generation, we have to clean it up because some other generation didn't want to take care of it. So 
I, I want to practice the stewardship, not because I worship nature, but I understand I'm a steward, and I have to hand it off to somebody. And I don't want to hand off problems. I want them to enjoy the blessing as much as I did. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Number four, read this out loud. Men see their work as an expression of worship to God. So it goes right into the stewardship thing. But notice it says, the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. That's Genesis 2. Sin didn't happen until Genesis 3. So in paradise, Adam and Eve got to work. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Yeah. Guess what? In heaven, you're probably going to have a job. Yeah, I heard about three amens, the rest chuckled, and the, and the others didn't say nothing. Yeah, so what I want you to see here is this. How did, how did Adam and Eve worship God? There was no music. There was no, oh, it's Sunday, I guess we got to go to church and hear the preacher. I mean, Adam would go, uh, Eve, it's just us. <laughs> so, so how did they worship God? Through their work. Their work was their worship. Now see what this, the fall of man brought sin into the world, and now it happens by the sweat of our brow. But it doesn't ever say that worship was uh, that work was replaced. It just said work would now be a struggle, but work is still worship. Let me let me show you what happened. Genesis chapter three, verse eight. This is Adam and Eve have sinned, but God has yet to confront them. But it gives us a little bit of an insight on Adam and Eve's day. Then the, Lord, or then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. There's the key word. Cool of the day is toward the end of the day. So Adam and Eve would work God's garden all day. And then in the, in the evening, God would come down and say, let's talk. Well, David expanded on this when he said, God inhabits the praises of his people. When we worship, God says, I show. So for Adam and Eve, it was this. When we work God's garden, he shows up. Why? Because that was their form of worship. And God says, I want, I, I want you to enjoy it. I want a fellowship with you. I, want to, I, want, I literally want to have presence with you. So this idea that we somehow early in our lives, or, or early in the stages of our life with our kids, we start to say, yeah, i got to go work this job. Don't like it. Don't like what I do. But you, listen, your time's coming too where you'll be grinding it out every morning, getting up, going to a job you don't like with people you don't like, serving people you wouldn't even live next door to. And drudgery, drudgery, drudgery. And hopefully Social Security will be there for you. Now there's an inspiration that you can use the rest of your life to crawl out of bed. Right? We need to understand what I do at my job is worship. So why do, why do I do well? Because I think there's a raise in it for me? No. Because I know that God inhabits my work. It's not just something I, I, I feel God when I go to church. I can feel God where I work. It means that I, I do well at my job because when I do well, I can see God grin. And he's doing well done. 
That's why, I serve people, why we serve people well. That's why we fix things for people. That's why we do more than maybe what they're expecting. And they go, well, I wasn't expecting you. I know that. Well, you didn't have, well, that's just who I am. I worship God through what I do. So yeah, I have a tendency to go overboard and do more than you ask and do it at a level that's not expected. I do it with more excellence. Why? Because when I do that, I feel God grin. And when I drive home, it just feels good. I'm tired. I may be dirty. I may, be, I may have had some frustration. But it's nice to know that I got up today and I solved something. Maybe you've never thought of this. When, you, when, when they find your name in the book of life, the statement is this. Well done, thou good and faithful. Doesn't say follower. Doesn't say believer. It says and what are servants? They're doers. It's disappointing to see how many Christians have divorced God from their job. And you just want to go, but your job is one of the primary ways you worship God. Get after it. I don't care what, I don't care what the climate of your office is. I don't care what the climate of other people do. You're just like, you're not stopping me from worshiping God with my best. I'm going to do my best because it's how I serve him. And believe me, I want to hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen? All right, the last one is this. Read it out loud. Men, men value children. God blessed them and said, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth. Does anybody need it translated? God said, I put my image in you and I expect when you can to get more of my image out there. But see, it also says that men are protectors of life, not takers. Again, I know we're in a climate where people say, well, those choices are my just, but men go, no. No, I don't support that. I support a child's right to breathe. I support a child's right to have a life. To have, I believe a child should have a right to choose and not somebody else choose for that child like that. I, see, what did Jesus say? They were trying to keep the, the children away from him in, in his day. And Jesus rebuked them and said, no, 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 no. You bring the children to me. He also said this, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. Boy, let that sink in. Why? Because the image of God is there too. They, Selah, Selah's there. And God says, when you've done it to the least of them, you've done it to me. Why? Well, he says, there's Selah there. You don't, you do that there, you're doing it to me. Men were protectors, were defenders of life. Not because it's cool, not because it's a political party's view, it's just... Hey, our country has had abortion legal for almost 50 years. I understand the law. I understand people have choices. But that doesn't mean I have to make it my choice. I never have bought into that ideology that the world is off. I've always believed it was sacred. I've always stood behind that. 
I don't believe in acts of violence against people. I don't believe in being hateful and spiteful. But I've just, when I can, I'm just always true. Like, no, I don't believe. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. After all these years, yeah, after all these years, I still am a defender of life. Because I just think that's what men of God do. Doesn't make me popular sometimes. It costs me venues. It costs me places. People dump me as their friend. They unfriend me on Facebook. And oh my gosh, I lose sleep all night. You're a defender of life. You're a defender of, listen, the presence of God in those kids. You're the defender of that. Protect them. Just as God protects you. And everybody said amen. Okay, let's all stand to our feet. Would you do this? We're going to wrap up the service. Hey, can we all just take about 30 seconds and can you thank him that you have been made in his image? Man, that settles so much about who we are as a person, whether male or female. Man, that settles so much. I have a foundation. I am made in his image. Come on, church. 30 seconds. Let's everybody lift our hands and give him praise.